It's a great day. It's a great time to receive the word. And like she just said, during the middle of the week, um, it's always good to hear some word. And, you know, it's, it's important in the effort that you put out to show up. I mean, you know, there's a lot, lots of different ways that you can uh, receive word and you can, li- I mean, there's, I mean, there's podcasts and things you can listen to and watch all over the planet. And, uh, and, and, and that's great, but there's something about making the effort to come and to show up and be a part of the house that you're connected to and that you're a part of. Amen? There's something about that, stepping out and being a part of it. And, and when you put the effort out to show up, always you get something. I mean, it's just always been that way for me. I know it's that way for you. I know it's that way for everybody, that, that when you put the effort out and, to show up and you sacrifice at times some of your time to receive the word, it just does something to you and does something for the rest of your week. So I'm excited about this word tonight. We started last week... Um, on a message that I told you we're going to do for a while. And uh, the title is, um, It's Time to Pursue the Lost. It's time to go after unbelieving people. It's a time and a season that we're in, I believe, where this body is concerned, to be aware of people that are non-believers. And last week I shared a little bit. Um, This Sunday we've got an important announcement, so you need to be here so you can receive the announcement. I'll tell you on Sunday what it is. But just about a couple things that we've got going here this fall um, in really pursuing the lost and, and, and... going after unbelievers. You know, the Bible calls people that are not believers sinners. That's what the Bible says. And um, some people's idea of what a sinner is is not exactly what the Bible says that a sinner is. And and a sinner is just somebody that doesn't believe. And so they find themselves living their life the way they want to live it instead of having a standard to live by. And God's Word brings a standard that you and I can live by. And, And... when we, you know, for a believer to sin, it's to know to do right and not do it. That's what sin is to a believer. When you know to do something right and you choose not to do it, the Bible calls that sin. It's disobedience to what the will of God is. So we know around here that God's not so freaked out about the mistakes that you make, but he's more concerned about you getting what you need to quit making mistakes. We, we don't have to make mistakes. How many realize you don't have to wake up every morning, well, I'm going to make a mistake, so I might as well just cuss right now. You know, might as well just kick my dog before it gets started. Because <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up anyway. We don't, you know, that's not the way to look at life. We can wake up and, and enter into a new day, a new time, because the Bible says, the Bible says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we can rejoice and be glad in the day. And every day is a new day. And His mercy is, and His grace is new and fresh every morning when we step into it. 
So every day can really be a great day. I mean, you can have a lot of potential issues or problems that, that maybe you're facing or you're dealing with. But man, you can step into the day and rejoice and be glad in the day. So last week, just a couple things that we'll, we'll review. Last week we, we talked about, um, and, and I'm going to read again out of Luke chapter 15, but we talked about um, God saying that, and Jesus making this statement, telling his disciples that he was going to make them fishers of men. They were, a number of his disciples, his original disciples were, they were fishermen that went after real fish. But he said, I want you to leave your nets and come and follow after me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, I, I, will, I will cause you to, to go after men and catch men in a right kind of way, you know. It's real clear that Jesus was a person that broke through cultural barriers. You know, he didn't expect unbelievers to jump into his world. Because, number one, his world was like no other world. Everywhere he went, Riots started, miracles happened, stuff happened that didn't happen anywhere else. And there were all kinds of issues with him. And so he didn't expect people to jump into his world. But what he did is he went into their world and made a difference in their world to affect their world in a positive way. And he didn't, he didn't Jesus didn't let their world contaminate his world. Huge difference. There are two groups of people that just love Jesus. Sinners and children. Sinners and children, they love Jesus. And there's several other groups of people that avoided him like the plague. Because every time they went to try to trip him up, he made them, not on purpose, it was their fault for trying to trip him up, they, every time they tried to trip him up, he made them look like fools, like they knew nothing because of their attitude. And it was the religious people of the day, people that had a form of godliness, but there was no power, there's no relationship. And God, God's desire for the church, for this body of connected body of believers here, God's desire is that that we understand what his purpose is in the earth. One of the last things that he commissioned humanity to do was go and make disciples. It wasn't something that was an option. It's like, okay, you've got to go make disciples because I'm going to build my church, and I'm not going to build my church, God's saying this, I'm not going to build my church with unbelievers. Our responsibility is to go out into the world not expect people to just trip over coming in here, but us being the church who we are individually, making a difference in individual people's lives out there, them have something, because they see something in us that they like and they want, they, they, they have a desire to go after what's in us, they like what's in us, then we make disciples not of, of them, not of ourselves, but of Jesus. That was his commission. Go and make disciples, 
immersing them in the revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he said, and, and, and in his commission, or a part of his that was attached to his commission was a great commandment. And that was for us to learn how to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor the way we love ourselves. But you'll never love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And you'll never love God. You'll never love God. Don't forget this. You'll never love God until you find out how much he loves you. You'll never love him. There's no way. It's impossible. You walk around, i got to love God. i got to, got to, got to, got to. You never will. Until you, found, until you find out how much he loved you, you'll never love him. But yet that's, that's the great commandment. And the two go together. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. So we've been commissioned to do that. And it's real clear in God's word. We talk about it around here all the time. But tonight I want to, I'm going to read 32 verses out of Luke chapter 15. Oh my gosh, 32 verses. There's three stories here. There's three stories in Luke 15. One is about a lost sheep. The second one is about a lost coin. And the third story is about a lost son. So I'm just going to start with it. We read, we read the first seven verses last week, but I'm going to start again. Verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever met any tax collectors, but they're sinners. Anyway, no, I'm just playing. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need repentance. Verse 8, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son, who got all the goods, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. 
And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the, with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, everybody said he came to himself. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they begin to, they begin to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and he pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of his... Uh, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have, it's yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So, tonight I, I want to I want to talk about a couple things that I feel like that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of parallels to these stories and there's a lot of specific points that could be brought out, but I'm going to bring out a couple of points that I think are really key for where we're going and what we're talking about over the next few weeks and months. <clears throat> and it's starting with this. You know, um, The lost sheep, in this lost sheep story, Jesus' main focus was on the one. In the natural, it would appear as though, you know, that, that, that's wrong, that's off. Why, why, well, how, how would it benefit the rest of the herd of sheep for the shepherd to go after one? Who's, been lo who's lost? Why would it benefit the group? And I'm going to say, I'm going I'm, I'm to tell you what I feel like from these stories is true, and I'll probably repeat myself about three or four times as I look at these here in the next few minutes. But one of the reasons, when you look at the 99, and, and, and let's just take a church, okay? So the people in church that are in church, 
versus the one that's an unbeliever that's out there. What can happen to 99 that can affect the rest of the body and, and cause the, the 99 or the group of people to disintegrate and to scatter? What, what, what can happen there? That, that, that's one thought. Another thought is here that Jesus said, there's more rejoicing in heaven. So, if, if, if earth is down here and I'm up in heaven and I've got a heavenly perspective of this story, the heavenly perspective is different than the earthly perspective. Well, you know, why, why would we leave the 99? Because, you know, the 99, they've got needs. You know, they've got needs of their own, and, and we need to make sure that we meet each other's needs and make sure every little thing is taken care of and this and that and the other. Um, thoughts from the natural perspective down here on earth, when you're viewing it from an earthly perspective, it can be one thing. But the heavenly perspective, there's more rejoicing when one repents than when 99 just people don't need to repent. So, when you look at the third story about the son, the two boys, and you look at the second son and his attitude, look what he said. Verse 27. The dad says to the second son when he comes in from the field, your brother has come, and because he, is, he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Or no, this is the servant answering the son. But the son says, it says that he, he, he was angry and would not go in, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to the father, Lo, many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet... You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this guy, you know, your wicked younger son, who went off and lived a horrible life and blew all of his possessions, as soon as this guy comes in, you're all excited, put a ring on his finger, one of your best robes, and kill one of your most expensive calves, and you have a big party. Seems like to me the second son is hanging out with a lot of those scribes and Pharisees. He's been serving. He's keeping a record of his servanthood. You know, I've done this at church, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this thing, and this thing. You know, nobody appreciates me, and nobody this, and why, why, why. And so as I'm thinking and looking at the two stories of the 99 and the 1, the 99 need to be busy pursuing the ones. Because when you're busy after unbelieving people and changing, helping to change the culture of people's lives and issues that need to change. I, 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 let me ask you this question. How many in here tonight 
believe that you have something that you know other people don't have. I mean, I know I do. There's no question. How do you alter and help change the culture of other people without forcing things on them? Jesus knew that people were not going to come and jump into his world. So he had to creatively, number one, he had to be anointed himself, but he had to creatively step into their world, not let their world contaminate his moral convictions and who he was, and make a difference. Two questions that I want you to think about. When was the last time that you had a lunch or a dinner with an unbelieving person? I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just asking you a question. When was the last time you spent any time, had a cup of coffee with somebody that's not a believer? And my second question is this. Of unbelieving people that you're around, how is your life affecting unbelieving people? I mean, everywhere Jesus went, man, he started riots. (laughs) I mean, all kinds of stuff would get stirred up. I mean, he, he just minded his own business. I mean, he'd been praying with the Father and his disciples and Walks out and all of a sudden there's riots in the street. You know? They're dragging a woman who's a prostitute out in the middle of the street ready to kill her. And he want, they want his approval. I mean, the whole city's watching him and he had been praying. <laughs> and the whole city's watching his, 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 his deal. Scripture's real clear that after that instance, man... <laughs> Probably thousands of people were following him. Because, man, he shut the whole thing down. I heard one guy say one time, why, you know, one of the reasons that all those Pharisees dropped all the stones that they were going to kill her with, because they'd probably all had relationship with her. And he just made some simple little comment. And, man, he got all kinds of followers. When you get in other people's lives and you begin to make a difference in their world just by loving them. See, we love God, we love people, and we do what? We make disciples. And you won't disciple a people, a person if you're not listening to the voice of the Spirit. The only way to help people is we hear from God and do what He says. <clears throat> not too long ago, I told you about um, my mother passing back in in the spring, my mom passed at 79, and, and um, I had the privilege, my brother and I had the privilege of doing her funeral. And I'd say, what would you say, at least half of the people in there were unbelievers, would you say? At least half of them? It wasn't a big room, it was one of those, one of those little chapels on, a, <clears throat> at a, on site at a funeral, uh, at a grave, graveyard. Uh, rest home, whatever, I don't know, whatever, whatever they're called. <laughs> rest home, whatever, they rest, I guess you rest there, I don't know. Well, that was the name of the place, Wrestling. <laughs> so they're resting at Wrestling. Anyway, but there was a chapel there, and I don't know, it's probably sat 100, 150 people, something like that. And at least half of the people there were not, were, were not born again. 
And you know, I've, I've tried to like present some kind of a message that would challenge people to get born again at funerals. And most of, every time I've tried it, it just drops dead. Like it didn't work. And so that was not my intention. And uh, I was praying about what I was supposed to say, and the Holy Spirit showed me something that was real key. And so my mom had a lot of unbelieving friends. But when my mom was uh, 17, she was at a Billy Graham crusade, and she got born again. But she didn't live the life, most of her life, until I led her to the Lord in 2006. And, but most of her life, she didn't live born-again life or didn't live believing that she was born again. She made a confession, but she didn't really believe it. But Billy Graham prayed with her. And she said it was, it was the most impacting day of her life, the day that she asked Jesus into her heart. She was born again then. She just didn't realize it, and no one was there to teach her born again because she was a part of a religious church that didn't teach born again, and so she didn't know. So when I stood up there on, on, when I did her funeral and had all these unbelieving people that were there, I said, you know, I want to share with you something today that I think is, would be really impacting. I said it was one of the two most impacting events in my mom's life. I said one of them was the day that she married my father. She divorced about 15 years after they were married when I was 10. And uh, she, she told me one day, right before she got born again, when we had a heart-to-heart, that that was one of the most impacting days of her life. And the second was the day that she was at the Billy Graham crusade and received Jesus. And so I shared it with all these people. And I said, and, and, and I used Billy Graham, I mean, Who's going to get mad at Billy Graham? I mean, you know. I mean, we're talking Billy Graham, right? So I used Billy Graham as a a reason to talk about born again. And how that it impacted my mom's life. And then how I had the privilege of helping her to understand that in 2006. And I prayed with her to to reconfirm her life to what she had experienced when she was 17. And it took some creativity. It took hearing God and being creative. And I mean, I mean, it, it, without exaggeration, wouldn't you say there probably wasn't a dry eye in the house that day? You know, just because of the way it was said. It wasn't, it wasn't that I said it. It was the way I said it. So here I had an environment and, 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 a, and a world that some people stepped into. And I took advantage of that by hearing God about what to say and saying it. And it affected all those people. I can't tell you how many people have come to me, sent me emails, came to me after the service, and told me that was, that was one of the most impacting things they ever heard. You know, and, and now all those people, the seed of that. See, I didn't have to open up an altar call. You know, God said, no, that's religious. You, you put the seed of the word out there, and it's going to produce. And all those people, what I expect is every person that was in that service that day, the word that I put out there did not return void, but it's accomplishing what it was set out to accomplish. And I believe every one of those people will make a confession and accept Jesus before they leave planet Earth. That's, that, was, that, was, that was what God told me to do. 
Okay? So, I'm just making a point. Jesus didn't just expect people to come into his world. He took advantage of jumping into their world. And when he, when he, when he stepped into their world, he made a difference. You know why? Because he only said the things that he heard from the Father. He didn't just say what came to the top of his head and, and try to figure out how to affect people's lives. You will not affect people without the voice of the Spirit. You will not impact people's lives without learning to hear from God. And in these stories, you know, the world's perspective is spend more time with the 99. God's perspective is get the 99 mobilized and the 99 going after the one. And what happens is the 99 get their needs met because their focus isn't on themselves, it's on other people. See, that's the heart of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then you love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And when you find out how much God loved you, and you can get rid of shame and guilt and stuff off of your life, then you have the capability of loving your neighbor like you would love yourself, because you love yourself. That's God's intention, is that we love ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, um, there are so many opportunities every day. Man, the opportunities. And I, I was a person, we're going to do a few things in, in the fall here where, where you know, you, one day you may get a phone call from me and I may say something to you like I want you to do something with me in the form of evangelism. Or we may do little group things of evangelism with people because I'm going to show you what God's revealed to me about evangelism. And it's not a religious word, it's, it's an impacting word. The Apostle Paul told Timothy to be always prepared to do the work of an evangelist. Well, number one, you got to know what an evangelist does. Well, I think an evangelist, you know, does this and that and the other. Well, we're going to talk about what an evangelist does, what evangelism really is. There's an evangelist, five-fold ministry evangelist, but then there's evangelism that all of us are called to do. We're all called to walk in that realm in one level or another, uh, or another. Well, Pastor, but I'm so busy. Well, if you're too busy for the great commission and the great commandment, then you're too busy. So just get a little unbusy and do some things. But there's just opportunities everywhere. I mean everywhere not just like someone dies and there's an opportunity as you're doing part of a service or whatever not like not just those things that was one of them giving you an example but I mean every day and in the last year I've made a commitment that I'm stirring up that gift of evangelism inside of me that was in my life early on as a, as a Christian and I've stirred that thing up on, on the inside of me and I I am so aware of every opportunity that I have to minister life. Yesterday I was in San Antonio doing something with one of my daughters and, and, and I had such an opportunity and, and I almost lost the opportunity by getting in my flesh. <laughs> Anybody ever got in your flesh? 
I almost got my flesh and almost lost the opportunity, but, but I, I regained my composure. Because there's people that need what I have. There's people that need what you have. You see? But what looked like an opportunity going by the wayside, at the end of the day, I sowed a seed. I planted a seed in, in a guy's life. And I was able to effectively see the door open for the future in, with him. And those opportunities are just everywhere, no matter where you go. Somebody tell me, somebody tell me a place that you go at different times in your week that's not your normal pattern. Like you get up in the morning if you go to work and you do the same thing every day. But what's something you might do that's not your normal pattern? Somebody just tell me, like go, you might go to Starbucks maybe once a week, or you might go to a convenience store, you might go to, you know, I don't know, you might go to the walking track at Lewis Hayes once a month. <laughs> Every once in a while you go to A&A Tire, okay? What if things that you know are not your normal pattern, what if you, like he talked about getting, getting oil change. How often do you think you get your oil change? Every three months maybe? Okay. So what if you started praying about the next time you get your oil change? How many people do you think you would come in contact with at A&A Tires? Okay. There's four people. What if he started praying for those four people at A&A Tire? I'm just talking about praying in the Spirit, just thanking God, Lord. I thank you for, for the angels of God going before me, setting up my time when I go back to get my oil change there. Now, if you're praying for those four guys, you think if, if Justin got a coupon in the mail to get $5 off an oil change somewhere else, you think he'd go there? Eh. Not if you're praying for four guys that you're going to go. He, he'll probably take an extra 20. Why? Because now your focus is on the Great Commission. See? It's on making disciples. It's on seeing people's lives touched. And what opportunities can come? What opportunity? What is someone else going to need from you that's going to draw the anointing out of you? And somebody who's, you know... Somebody like you, that you're like a mild-mannered Clark Kent, you know, and all of a sudden, you're on the newspaper, you know, that week, so-and-so was caught laying hands on somebody at the old place. Justin was laying hands, and this person got healed of cancer in their body. It was, it was miraculous. Well, Pastor, but, well... You don't know. Have you ever, three months ahead of time before you're going to get your oil change, prayed for the people at the oil change place? Just one example. And I'm not even talking about the places that you go that your normal routine every day. I'm talking about places that you know you could go and you could start praying ahead of time about God revealing to you, is there an opportunity there? I'm not talking about making an opportunity. I'm talking about being prepared for one. You know, the Bible says that the Spirit of God, 
The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that the Spirit of God hovers over the earth looking for people that are willing, in, in so many words, that are willing to be a part of what He's doing in the earth. God's building His church. We're here to make disciples so He can build His church with the disciples that we've made. God does not disciple people. God disciples people through His people. Right? We're making disciples so He can build His church so the gates of hell cannot prevail on planet earth. That's why it's so vitally important. That's why it's so vital that we fill this house because if there's three times the people that are in here tonight in six months from now on Wednesday night because of the work that you're doing, because you're one of the 99, you know, one of the, the core that are making a difference and affecting the lives of people outside and, and stepping into cultural areas that maybe you're not even familiar with. <clears throat> I've, I've started doing something. I won't even tell you what it is because it really doesn't matter, but I've started doing something in, in the form of, of, uh, of a hobby. I've started doing something a couple of days a week for about an hour. Maybe, maybe close to an hour and a half each of the days. And what I've started doing is praying before I get there, I've got to leave here, my office, I've got to go to that destination, and I'm there for it between an hour and an hour and a half. And there's about the possibility of anywhere from 8 to 15 or 20 different people that I come in contact with. But there's an opportunity to come in contact with even familiar people of my past here in Kerrville that I need, they need reconnections with me. And so I've been praying for right opportunities to manifest. And I'm expecting that. And I've seen two of them in the last two weeks. Just two-minute situations, not, you, you don't think it's a big deal, but shaking someone's hand that maybe didn't even want to shake your hand a few years back. And they shook my hand, and I said hello to them, and there was a connection there, and I'm going back, and I'm going to be in that same place again about the same time every week because God's got me doing something there, and it's not... The hobby that I enjoy, it's not about the hobby, it's about the people that are there and about making a difference. What you're my responsibility is, is hearing him and then doing what he says. You've got to develop that, you've got to practice it, you've got to work on it, you've got to work it out on a regular basis. And when you work it out, then you can be like Jesus was. And how was he in the earth? He was one who affected people's lives, but their lives and their attitudes and who they were didn't contaminate him. They didn't cause him to compromise his moral convictions because he was stepping into worlds that were not common for him. And I want to read this verse. Ooh, and then i got to quit. First uh, Corinthians nine, and I'll end with this. 
1 Corinthians, where'd it go? There it is. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might do what? Win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. In other words, he's saying the same thing that Jesus, that, that, that we have a picture of in Jesus. He, he was going to be like them, but they weren't going to affect his convictions. Well, you know, Pastor, I couldn't go there because, okay, then don't go there. Right? We're going to go places and we're going to make a difference. We're going to let what's going on out in the world affect and contaminate us and pull us down, we're going to stay convicted and we're going to stay in the power and the strength of God overcoming situations so we can get to the hearts of people. Because so many of those people are hid in places where Christians won't go because they're too scared. Whatever it is. Now we got to be above it so we can go into places and make a difference. That's what Jesus did. To the weak, verse 22, to the weak, I became as I'm weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What, what, for what sake is this for? Verse 23. That this I do for what? The sake of the gospel. That I might be a partaker of it with We might be partakers together. Amen? Now we're partakers of his divine nature and his will in the earth because what we're doing is for the sake of the gospel. Not for the sake of building something. It's not for the sake of filling the church up. It's not for the sake of this, that. Yes, filling the church up or connecting people here because we have something to say to them and we, we want to help them is the end result, but it's not the goal. The goal is for the sake of the gospel. And that we step out of our comfort zones and into these worlds of whatever it is. I become weak to those who are weak that I might win the weak. I become like an old change guy to win the old change guy Right? That we can see that oil change guy come into the kingdom. You think like him. Ever watched what an oil change guy does down in the bottom under your car? And just what a greasy nature he has? All over. And you got to be able to talk to the oil change guy. And be connected to the old change guy. That's where you're supposed to be connected. And be able to relate to that guy. And maybe do something for that guy. And maybe help that guy. And maybe sow a seed into that guy. And maybe whatever it is that God says. We hear God, we do what he says. 
and we make a difference with people. Sunday, we have a couple of announcements that are important. You need to be here to hear what they are that go with in, in regards to what we're talking about and what this whole, this whole rest of the year is going to be about in us going after the ones and understanding what it means. Not just some clichéic expression based on what it says right here, but it's the heart of it. If all of heaven rejoices more about one person repenting and really coming to the knowledge of the truth, then man, I, I, I want to I be a part of heaven rejoicing. And I want to be busy doing things that, are, that heaven says. I, I want to I get that heavenly perspective of how God views the things that we're talking about tonight. Amen.